Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Mom Neal Property with John Pigeon and Emily Wallace. Today we're talking about the state of the markets. It's September as we speak today and rents have risen in a lot of places in the last 12 months. Uh, we've got this massive population boom of, of people living longer and births and people moving to the country because it's a great country to live in. And But we've also got a situation where the landlords are selling up and maybe that's because of interest rate rises and other things. But any case, we're going to talk in detail about this today. So strap in, let's go. So Emily, mm-hmm. we are talking about, first of all, where landlords are selling up in probably the last 12 months, essentially, isn't it? And and it's by state, so there's no specific suburb. So if you're listening there saying, oh, where can I go and get get myself a bargain? Sorry, we haven't got that information right at hand. <laughs> but uh, there's an article on realestate.com.au last month that talked about investment property sales and where they were selling state by state. And your beautiful state of Victoria topped the charts. That doesn't shock me at all. It doesn't shock me either. But coming from Victoria, I get a lot of Victorians communicate with me, very angry about the current government and uh, and uh, all the taxes are getting or imposed, sorry, uh, the land tax changes and the stamp duty so high and, and everything about Victoria at the minute is, uh, is doom and gloom. So is that the reason? What's happening? Well, look, there are a lot of people selling their investment properties and the number one type of property I am seeing being sold, I would have to say, are two-bedroom apartments, like by a mile. And second to that, probably people who were land banking in it, they were buying a property that was ripe for development. The property was currently livable, maybe a three-bedroom brick house on like 600 square metres of land in the middle ring of Melbourne. And they planned to turn it into two or three townhouses. They've got approval, but they actually can't fund it. And so now they're literally just selling the property again as is. But yeah. Okay. So two bedroom apartments versus land banking and I've I've made some money. Like interestingly, we want to extract that sort of data and say, well, of those that are selling, who's making money and who's not? Yeah, exactly. Are we distressed sellers that are that have bought this dud that hasn't worked for me and I'm going to get out because it's costing me too much to hold now because interest rates are too high? Or am I cashing in because I've just made a hundred grand overnight and I'm I'm going to buy my own home or something like that? The common theme with all of these properties coming up, I have to say, John, is actually that they were bought in 2021. The number of properties that we're getting access to that were 2021 purchases in somewhat of a hyped market 
they're lucky to break even irrespective of the type of property. Right. The reason that is when you think about the property that's 600 square metres of land, they're actually not selling to another developer because everyone's in the same boat. Building costs are going up, they can't afford it. They're selling to a first home buyer and that first home buyer feels like they're taking a sacrifice because the condition is probably not that great uh-huh. and the land doesn't really mean that much to them. I mean, yes, a yard's great but the fact that it's a development site doesn't really mean anything or hold any value to a first home buyer Yeah, really. So when you when you say land banking, they've, they've bought this house yes. with land obviously. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they haven't bought a block of land that's vacant. No, 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 no. Sorry. It's, yeah. I mean, the house would be livable, probably had tenants in it while they were getting plans approved, might need some update given the rental regulations that are in place in Victoria to bring it up to standard, but you know, nothing astronomical. And glad you touched on that because that has been significant, hasn't it? For, for investors in Victoria, and I know I've gone through it personally, it was like these introduction changes, which are good ones because it means the tenant's going to be living in better conditions. But it just hit people pretty hard that the amount of changes that needed to be, uh, I suppose, brought in to get their house or unit up to scratch according to the new tenancy standards. Yeah, those who suffered are those who own older style properties. Most of the newer style properties already have those standards as a baseline anyway. But certainly, yeah, those older style ones, um, not, not ideal. There was a case recently, it's probably worth sharing an example of someone who sold out as an investor of an older style single fronted Victorian property, which is very classic in the middle, uh, sorry, in the inner ring in Carlton North. They paid 1.5 mil in May 2021. They've had it rented out as an Airbnb. Now note that the Airbnb standards are different to the rental standards, right? And they sold it. We had a client on it who actually is listener of the podcast. Um, And they, the property sold for 1.465 about four weeks ago. So at a loss, particularly when you add stamp duty. There are a couple of things that it needed to bring it up to rental standards. And I don't know if it was a distressed sale or what. I assume it was given they sold at a loss. But for people buying into these properties as an investor, you need to consider what are the upfront costs to bring it up to speed? Yeah, totally. And and property management companies, they're, they're breaking the rules if they are advertising these properties that haven't met standards. So they're not going to do it for you, even if you say, oh, I'll get that fixed at some stage. No, it won't happen. No. And social media has taken this to a whole another level. I don't know if you've seen the accounts on TikTok, but there's certainly some prominent figures in the TikTok space who are actually having people send in these dodgy rental listings, yeah, right. exposing them, and then these listings get taken down pretty quickly. Yeah, for so, sure. Which, as they should. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The old talk tick, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and we must say in the article, it talks about the percentage of investment property sales in the state uh, compared to owner-occupier sales. Of course. Right. Yeah. So Victoria is at 30% in 2000, as of July 2023. Uh, New South Wales, 28%. So not far behind. Queensland, 27%. WA, 25%. South Australia, 20%. Tassie, 17%. Your home state. And ACT, uh, just under 19%. So they're not alarming figures, are they, stats-wise? Like you'd say 70 to 80% of all properties are owned by owner-occupiers anyway. So yeah. it's it's um, it's not alarming stats, but it just created a headline and we thought we'd 
chat about it because we need some content sort of thing, don't we? Well, I think what the key is though, it's actually the difference in comparison to the percentage in previous years. So yeah. it's not unusual to have investors sell out and about a third of the market is owned by investors anyway, mm. really. So That's it's right. not, you know. So it's back up but, to standard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, 2020, it was some of those areas were like, even, you know, around the 10% mark, so yeah. a lot less. Yeah, and that's got to be down to the running costs of my property to hire and then probably be in Vic's case, the fact that tenancy standards, um, land tax, like Dan in power, all these things have yes. just culminated in like, I've had enough of this, I'm out of here. And we don't want to paint a doom and gloom picture on Victoria because no. it's still an unbelievable place to invest, but just simply outlining why there might be these properties on the market. Now, the key we've got to ask ourselves, and you mentioned before, these properties are being bought by first home buyers. So what does that mean for that particular area? Well, it's a good thing because we've now got more owner occupiers, less investors in that area, which brings the standard of that suburb or, or area up, doesn't it? Yeah. And even further on that, in some cases, they're actually the renters or the tenants of these properties are buying them off the landlord directly. I know there's been a few right. um, murmurs in the group around that happening um, on the Facebook group. And so, yeah, you flick it to a to a home buyer, and instantly you've got someone who cares a bit more about how the property is presented, yeah. body corporate committees, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, no, it, it's really good. So, are we seeing blood on the street as a result of all these properties or all these investors wanting to sell? Personally, I'm not seeing it at all at the minute, and I don't think we will. Like this whole mortgage cliff, and we've spoken about it a few times on the show. Uh, the mortgage cliff that's coming or was coming or is coming or has come hasn't really come. Like it's like a, a little mound. It's not a cliff, right? So I think last that showed that like there was 900 or 800,000 mortgages have already come off the mortgage low interest rates and now back to the norm. I think there is a lag there to say, well, they've now got to live two, three, four months worth after we may have saved some money. So the, the real test might be in a few months' time. But at the same time, we're also seeing interest rates sort of stabilise, aren't we? So the days of, of uh, four interest rate rises in four months are probably gone. I also think on that a lot of people assume if someone's selling because they have to because they can't handle the mortgage, they've just got to, it's going to be a bargain that, you know, they're going to sell at a loss. And whilst there is evidence of people selling out at a loss, particularly if they've only held the property for two or three years, that may be the case. But this is met with a huge demand for people wanting to buy in, which is such a, it's such a chicken and egg scenario because the reason people want to buy in is because the rents are too high because the mortgage rates are too high for landlords, you know, bumping up their rents. It's all a snowball effect of everything and simply not enough homes. Which brings us to our next article, right, is talking about Australia not building enough homes. Now, if we've been living under a rock, this shouldn't be, well, it might be news to you, but it shouldn't be news to you in the fact that we there is a, a massive housing shortage which you're right, it's it's like, well, okay, there are a few excess properties on the market at the moment, but they're still getting consumed by the excess amount of people wanting to buy their own home. And I think in this article it says about 171,000 people migrated to Australia from overseas during the 21-22 financial year, right? They all need a home. 
Australia wants to, or the government wants to build 1.2 million houses in five years. That is a lot of houses. It is. And the issue is the approval rates of these houses going through. I mean, a lot of we've got land available. Land is generally speaking not actually the issue. We, you know, 90% of the country is on 10% of the land when you look at the landscape of, of the coastline, right? But they've also said in the data that's been provided that the new home approvals have fallen by 8% nationally. So yes. we're actually approving less homes, but we need more homes. Sorry, mm. what? Like, no, how that, is that? Something doesn't stack up. And actually, Glenn and I spoke on the Tuesday show about this. Someone wrote in the Facebook group saying it's not just the councils, but it's higher up the chain. It's the, like the council is doing a good job. Well, it's very, I personally think councils are the issue and they're the ones slowing down building approvals, right? And I've got one here locally that I know that's been sitting in council for two years because of small minuscule items that are not going to affect anyone over the next 30 years if they build a house there, right? So they've just been sitting in council and they can't work quick enough. There's too much red tape. And then there's also external companies like your your sewer companies and your your, your electricities um, and your general water and like getting stormwater to the to these new blocks like this all takes time it also takes expertise to get it done in an efficient manner and as a result there's there's time delays which obviously gets frustrating for builders and then coupled with the fact that building companies have can't have these holding costs anymore so they've gone under and uh, there's a there's a bit of a, a shit fight in general isn't it most definitely and i think some of the issues at large in the major capital cities is actually around where these properties are being built. So instead of, there was this really big push for the sprawl probably five, seven years ago, you know, there's satellite cities going further out. Now the commentary I'm certainly hearing in the media is more about higher density or medium to high density where the infrastructure is already built, where the train lines exist, the motorways exist, the schools are there and actually building up, not out. Very prominent in Melbourne and also Sydney and I think Brisbane to a degree as well. But when you think about it, getting, you know, subdivided lots like a big massive subdivision 40Ks out from the CBD is actually probably not as smart as using the infrastructure that's already existing closer in for a townhouse development. Now, I know not as desirable, maybe less outdoor space, more congested, but I don't think any capital city has really hit like their peak of how many people they can hold in the inner ring. No, it's it's an interesting debate, up versus out. Mm. Like I, I suppose I, I fear for those that buy their, their one bedroom or the two bedroom only to then start a family, where do I go now? Like that's, it's the next play after that, isn't it? Um, and, and there's plenty, like when you look at places like Hong Kong and Shanghai and New York and, and uh, London, you've got these massive apartment buildings and units and, and they're just sprawled right across the cities. And there's, there's plenty of airspace still to come even in those places. Australia's not really like that. We, we, we love our backyard and mow the lawn and run the dog and everything else. It does need to change to more inner city living and capture some of that airspace. But at the end of the day, if we're going to have one, two, three kids in our life, we can't stay there long term, can we? So what's the alternative? No, but I also think the narrative is changing as in 
I think people are having less. I mean, statistically, people are having less children these days. Yes. They're not not having kids, but they're having less. Um, dogs and cats seem to be taking the priority in people's <laughs> lives. They're yeah. little fur babies, and um, I think really instead of the big jump to like the big family home on good land with a yard, it's that in between thing, which are the three bedroom townhouses in that middle ring or the cusp of the inner ring that seem to be in the most demand because they offer the best of both worlds. So if you've got your investment hat on, Mm. are you buying a block, middle ring, inner ring that is ripe for subdivision and let's build two or three townhouses on it and sell it to families, first-time families, stay there for 10 years? That's what I'd be doing. That's That's where the demand is. All right, let's all do that. Yeah, I mean, there's a hot tip. <laughs> yeah, straight off. <laughs> what to you, do? <laughs> you heard it here today from Emily. So because it, it, again, depends on which side of the fence we're coming from because do we are we just thinking with an owner-occupier hat on mm. or are we thinking as a wealth creator that wants to build a portfolio? Yeah. And, and generally a townhouse is reserved for investors that want to create wealth by building those for someone else to buy them off them, not for wealth creators to buy them, buy the finished product. But because of affordability and and house prices, it's now like, well, I've got no choice but to buy a three-bedroom townhouse. Or do you go in a joint venture and work out how you can make it possible that you could, you know, do that subdivision and possibly walk away with more rather than just buying it in isolation. Now we're singing. Yeah. So there's thinking outside the square, isn't it? So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. But I think the other part of it is the rental crisis. So not only have we got a housing shortage, but we've also got a rental crisis because we haven't built enough houses over the last 30 years. We didn't project migration accurately enough. I don't know. Something went wrong 30 years ago because it's, it's just jumped Who was, who was in charge 30 years ago? <laughs> What's been going on? Johnny Howard, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. But any case, um, as a result of that, we've got rents that are pushing up to an extreme amount. Like I know places like the Gold Coast, like $150, $200 a week increase in the last sort of 12 months, 18 months. That's nuts. We've got some pretty solid data to go through. We might take a quick break and come back and break it down as to where rents have gone high mm. and where they've actually fallen because this could be telling for both you as a renter and an investor. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? Right. 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, Emily, we've got a chart here that says where rents have increased the most in the past 12 months. Do you want to quickly run through that? Brought to us by PropTrack. Now, look, majority of these, I mean, there's five in WA and there's five in New South Wales. Now, noting three of the WA locations are regional, one being Boulder. I'm reading the ones that I know how to read because they're weird. <laughs> Bain, the, the, the Western Australians would be cursing you right yeah, now. Yeah, I know. Line. Oh, no, that's Metro. Yeah, that's Metro. But like, for example, Boulder has seen a 25% increase with the median weekly rent now being $500 wow. for a house. So let's park on that for a minute. 25% of 500 mm. when I went to school was $125. Yeah, same as when I went to school. <laughs> yep, great. We've got the same answer. So for somewhere like Boulder, regional WA, from paying three seventy five to five hundred probably won't break the bank for most people. I'd have to check the median household income in Boulder, but I generally say, well, that that okay, the percentage sounds large, but we should be okay with that. I think the the problem is like and we look at Tamarama in um, in New South Wales, eleven hundred is now the the unit weekly rent. It's a twenty nine percent increase. Now that starts to hurt, doesn't it? Like that's gone up, call it thirty percent. That's like three hundred fifty, three hundred eighty dollars a week that it's gone up. That's got to have a real impact. Most definitely. Sorry, I was just looking at where Boulder was because I wanted a reference point. <laughs> I thought it was in Colorado. But uh, anyway. Boulder is near Kalgoorlie. I know how to say that one. Kalgoorlie. Yeah. Um, quite a small area, but yeah, I mean, which is mining. So yeah. five hundred dollars a week should be more than than probable. But yeah, you've uh, when you're paying eight nine thousand dollars a week, like that's that's a, a lot of coin out of your pocket. You mean hundred, not thousand. Correct. Yeah, yeah. No, eight hundred, <laughs> nine hundred to a thousand. Oh, to a thousand. Okay. Yeah. So I missed the two. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we look at that and. As investors, we're always looking at this, so especially rent investors, where we're saying to ourselves, righto, we can rent for $600 a week or we can buy a house in the same area or, or a dwelling that we want to live in and the mortgage costs us 700 a week, right? So it's probably a no-brainer that we would maybe live in our own home if, we, if that's what we wanted to do at the time and we had the deposit, right? But now we see these rents increasing to, to that extreme but interest rates are now back up at 6%. So whichever way we look, it, it's, it's tough going. Kind of running into closed doors everywhere, aren't you? Like, oh, should mm. I try that one, that one? Out of interest, John, what would you say personally, like for people grappling with do I rent versus do I buy? Like you gave the example there of the $100 a week difference. Like what, where do you think it starts to not make sense? Like where the mortgage repayments are like, $300 a week more or? As a rent vester? Yeah, as a rent vester, yeah. So, yeah, the whole rent rent money, dead money sort of stuff I don't I don't um, drink from. But I think it's understanding our, our play to say, well, I'm going to be a rent vester for 10 years. I'm going to build a portfolio, deploy all my cash towards my portfolio and rent where I want to live. So for a lot of rent vesters that are, that are savvy investors, 
they'll never look at it from a dollar point of view. They'll just say, oh, this is what I'm doing because this is my strategy and, yeah. and I want to build a portfolio. But if you're umming and ahhing saying, well, I'd love to live in my own home but I also love this unit that I'm living in and it's, and it's $100, $200 a week difference, of course you're better off living in your own home because you've got that security and not sort of, I suppose, putting someone in a corner. So one, one keen example is I had a, a lady reach out to me a couple of weeks ago and she wanted the security of buying her own home mm-hmm. for a number of reasons, right? But the rent was so much cheaper than what she could afford a mortgage for or have a mortgage for, right? Sure. But the, the, the security blanket was so great that she needed to go and buy her own home because right. that's what she wanted in her life. So, again, there's a no one size fits all but security is a lot for, for individuals. I'm noticing that more and more is a trending theme, the security piece, whereas I reckon even three, four years ago that wasn't as strong and I do think it comes out of the media and publicity around the rent increases and it's a very real thing. It's not yep. like they're making it up. No. Um, it happens to everybody but it's certainly like I want the certainty of knowing on the flip side, though, you don't know what rates are going to do. So it's kind no, of, you know what I mean? Like, no. <laughs> you can't win. No, that's right. But <laughs> traditionally you would say that we've hit what's probably the norm now. Yes. And and if if you think about it, when interest rates were 2% and they were to go to 4%, it wasn't going to flip the, the whole economy on its head. If they went from 6% now to 8%, that would do some severe damage. And, and I don't think the RBA or the government would allow that to, to happen. So I think we're getting pretty close. And I think, honestly, we're, we're pretty much done, although today's Tuesday, first Tuesday in September. Oh, it so is too. We'll, we'll we're both in, together for the announcement. <laughs> we'll, we'll know in a couple of hours. But I think we're pretty much done and, and we'll start to reduce next year. So that gives a lot of, I suppose, consumer confidence, doesn't it, to know well, this is now what I can handle? Do I have to factor in a rate rise? Absolutely. As an investor, do we factor in vacancy rates even though vacancy rates are 0.5%? Absolutely. On that, I spoke to a real estate agent on the Central Coast here on the weekend and it's a very, I suppose, inconsistent market out there for, for renters at the moment or for investors. He's seeing some vacancy rates as high as 3% oh. and other areas where it's as low as 1%. Yeah. So watch this space for certain areas because, yeah, for some reason, other areas uh, that I would have thought would have been in demand to live, their vacancy rates are, are actually on the increase a little. And on that note, we've also got some data on where the rents have decreased because sometimes rental decrease can come out of the fact that the vacancy rates are high, you kind of drop your rent, get people in. Now, when we were looking at what increased, it was in the regional area of WA and um, also in some spots in New South Wales. The chart for the rent decreases, the the top five are all in Metro ACT. Yes. And they're looking around the 6 to 7% mark of, of... uh, decrease. Uh-huh. Um, and then the other five are in regional New South Wales, again, similar, seven to seven and a half percent decrease in the weekly rent. Now, interesting to note, one that stands out to me here is, oh, I hope I say this right, Yarralumla. 
Yeah, that'll do. Yep, that'll do. In ACT, shout out to the people who live in Yarralumba. Uh, 1100 a week is now the median rent, but that's a decrease of, point, uh, of 6.4%. Yeah. So, but that still seems very high to me. It is high. And, and I think we spoke about it on the previous show, how, yeah, Canberra's rents are, are pretty solid mm, to, to very begin solid. with. So to have that drop, yeah, it's, uh, it doesn't surprise me too much. But interestingly, those New South Wales locations are uh, being units, right, in those regional locations like Singleton in the Hunter Valley, Spears Point, um, sort of Lake Macquarie, Newcastle, Yamba up the coast. So a 7 to 8% drop on those prices, right, of 370 per week, for example, you take 10% off, that's what's that, $37. So you're three, it's gone from sort of 420 to drop back down to 370, right? So that that's a reasonable saving for someone that's renting in those locations, isn't it? Yeah, and a bit of a hit to those who are investing out there. It's mm. it's always two sides of the, to the fence, isn't there? There is. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I think generally buying a unit in a regional location globally, I would say, gee, if you're doing that, you're a little bit vulnerable, I think. Oh, for sure. Mm. Yeah. If they're not desired destinations. Yeah. Yeah. You want some land. Yeah, mm. for sure. So there's a lot happening that factors in the state of the market when you think about it. We've got investors selling out. We've got first home buyers buying in. We've got rents that are on the whole increasing. We've got not enough homes being built and applications down of approvals down 8% on last year. Yeah, and builders going broke. Like, and as we said earlier, this is not doom and gloom. This is more just trying to state fact of what's happening. Mm. It's challenging. It is. It is challenging. So you mentioned before, which side of the fence are you on? Well, if if you're an investor wanting to start investing, then obviously do your homework internally so that you don't have to sell. Yeah. Right? And the only reason, well, I find the only reason that people have to sell is lack of cash flow. It, it's like occasionally it might be, oh, I'm just sick of the tenant or I'm sick of the property manager or dealing with all this stuff. I'll just go and put my money into ETFs and let it go, right? Yeah. That, that's sometimes the case. But generally it's lack of cash flow. So how do we prevent that before we start the portfolio? Well, we analyse all the indicators that are out of our control after we've worked out what's in our control. So we should be able to avoid that. I th- Definitely. Information is key. And we're so lucky that there is a lot of data accessible to the general public by, you know, Googling around and having a look, look at some solid sites. Even, I mean, realestate.com and domain actually have some pretty good data available um, provided by CoreLogic and PropTrack. So, you know, if you've got the time to allocate to researching, I think you'll find you can make a smart decision. It's just a matter of knowing what to research and... Also be careful who you listen to. And we say this all the time, you know, your uncle who's bought one property 20 years ago is not the person to rely upon when you're thinking about a strategy for investment. Mm. Uh, You need to have professionals in your corner to make sure you you make an informed choice. Yeah, totally. And and, uh, interestingly, talking to someone this morning in in a clarity call, she was living in Sydney and she was talking like, a graduate, like sorry, a a, uh, a qualified university graduate, mm-hmm. like been out uh, in her early thirties, so been working in the industry some time now. Really solid income, I'll say over two hundred k. Um, 
now for the first time is in a position where she can buy in Sydney. Great. It is great. However, what she's getting for the money that she's got is a little bit deflating. Yeah, I was going to say depressing, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And we're talking like 1.2, 1.3 mil, not spare change. Yeah, yeah. But she's come to the realisation, and this is probably another topic for another day, but and someone, you you might be listening, feeling the same way, it's like, well, hang on, I did this four-year degree or five-year degree to come out and be better educated so I'm more appealing to be be paid more and I, I like this industry. But essentially, in her mind, she's wasted 10 years because she's off the property ladder for that period of time and she's been left behind, whereas some of her friends that weren't uni graduates are like, okay, I didn't have a hex, I worked for those four years instead of studying, so I saved a deposit and I bought in when property prices were 500, 600, not 1.2 and she's been left behind in her mind. And it's a really valid point. Very much so. Is she at the point of going, like, is this all I can afford? Like, should I be looking elsewhere? Or is she committed to buying where she wants to be? Well, that's what we sort of thrashed out for an hour. But I think generally came to the conclusion that, no, you need to stick to your guns and buy uh, something to live in because that's really what you want. But it's what we buy now Mm, because he's like, well, hang on, I've now – I'm, I'm behind 10 years but now I go and buy the – and what if it doesn't go up in value? Now I'm back another five years because I bought the wrong asset. So, yeah, there's a whole heap of um, fear around that as well. So, look, it's interesting times out there. But so if we're, if we're wanting to get on that train for the first time to buy a property, whether it be to live in or to invest, I think we just need to really understand what's my worst case. My, my cash flow needs to be high so that I never have to sell this property. Understanding your personal situation is really key. And uh, yeah, I think you're not supposed to know everything, you know, like this is no. why people seek out podcasts and resources because you're not supposed to. And upskilling and educating yourself is the best thing you could possibly do. Mm. Just on that, mm. I'm pretty excited today. Why is that? I don't know if I even told you. Oh. Uh, we're launching your online property coach. I think you might have. Did I mention that? Whispered it to me when you're in Melbourne last that something was coming. It's coming. Well, wow. it's coming today. Mm. And tell me what is like what is this? Yeah, so it's basically. So I've got my online academy, right, yes. which you can go and do at your own pace. I'm a member that, of that. Cool. Are you? Yeah, I'm Fantastic. in the academy. <laughs> I better check how many percent you've completed, yeah. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we've got that and we've got analyzer, calculator and all those things. So we've brought that along with a whole heap of tools, resources, videos, templates into one online You've got your own login and password and you can access them. They're like street credits. So you go and watch a video and that's a credit. And yep. you've got X amount of credits based on the level of subscription you're on. So Okay. Yeah, launching today, twelve dollars a month is where it starts. Wow, that's super affordable. Like Netflix Netflix sort yeah, of yeah. subscription. That's awesome. Yeah. And so tell me if someone's um going to look into this, like what would they expect the outcome to be if they went through and, and got their credits up and they were yeah. listening to everything you were saying? Yeah, look, if they took on everything that is in there at $12 a month, I think, are you going to be an expert? No, because we're still in the library learning, aren't we? Yeah. So we've obviously got to apply that knowledge, but having the ability to have, to, to be regularly 
listening and and informing ourselves on what we need to do to build a portfolio Mm -hmm. on a regular basis for the next 12 months. Mm. There's no reason why someone can't go and take that and say, right, I'm away, off off I go. Yeah. Um, Now, is it the same as having 12 months one-on-one coaching with me instead? Absolutely not. Like they're they're worlds apart but depends on where someone's starting and where they want to to finish or where their knowledge is at now. Of course and having Mm. you one-to-one for 12 months is not $12 a month. Not quite. Not quite. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Well, we'll definitely link it below, hey? We'll get... We yeah. will now, yeah. yeah so for let's sure. do that. That's awesome. Um, That's exciting. Yeah, pretty pumped. So behind the scenes, they've been working unbelievably well with developers to get that off the ground. So, yeah. Awesome. I'll definitely check it out too. Cool. I'll give you free access. How's that? Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Have a great week. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Career, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 